It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into the Nats Insider Podcast for another week. Got a good one for you today. Be joined by Anibal Sanchez, Nationals veteran right-handed pitcher. Put together a really strong last few weeks. This guy has been pitching as well as he has, frankly, in, in quite some time. Sat out the 2021 season. Got off to a frustrating start to this year. Landed on the injured list right out of the gates this season. Had a lengthy rehab process back from a bit of a net neck issue. And then took time to kind of round into form once he got back on the mounds. But lately, he's been on an absolute tear. Caught up with Anibal to talk about all that this season has brought his way and what the future might look like for him. He's 38 years of age, will be 39 before the 2023 season starts. But as you'll hear in a little bit, he tells me he's not done pitching just yet. So we'll hear from Anibal shortly. We'll also be joined by Jim Callis. Does a phenomenal job for MLB.com assessing all of the minor league talent across the 30 organizations. We'll talk to Jim, who's been doing this for a while and is, is as good as they come in this industry, about the Nats system, where he feels like the Nationals have made strides over the last few years. We'll talk about his gauging of the haul that they received in the Juan Soto-Josh Bell trade. And we'll get into a variety of the names that Jim has seen progress over the course of the last couple of years or ones that are new to the Nationals organization. Some 2022 draft picks will be discussed as well. But first, let's get to that conversation with Anibal. 38 years old and not just pitching well lately, but pitching deeper into ball games as well. He's gone six innings a couple times. He's gone seven on occasion. This is a guy that We all remember from the 2019 World Series team was such a big part of that group. Pitching every fifth day in the clubhouse had that phenomenal start to begin the NLCS at St. Louis where he took a no-hitter into the eighth inning. And then he was with the Nats in 2020, sat out all of 2021, and there were some people around Major League Baseball that might have wondered whether that was it for any balls. Had a fantastic career. Does he choose to hang him up? No, he comes back this year, makes the team out of spring training, and now is really hitting his stride. So let's get to that chat now with Anibal Sanchez, fantastic guy and a long major leaguer who's putting it together of late, Anibal Sanchez. Anibal, how are you, buddy? Good, good. I like the, your pronunciation of my name. <laughs> yeah, I back in 2019, I made sure to ask you. I was like, where is the emphasis? It's on the knee, Anibal. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's not it's not easy to uh, pronounce my name, but uh, you say correctly. Good. Yeah, there we go. I had some people doubt me early early on. They thought I was saying it wrong. I said, no, no, I'm I'm getting it right. <laughs> Ask him. Um, <laughs> Anibal, uh, I, I want to talk to you about this year overall for, for you and for your team. Uh, let's start with you. You signed with the Nationals uh, this offseason and made the team out of spring training. And then as you were flying back to D.C., 
you had that neck issue that that popped up that landed you on the the IL for quite a long time. Um, you've come back, you've pitched, you've been in the rotation when healthy, and lately you've been pitching really, really well. What overall this year? What has this season been like for you? I think you describe everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, uh, you know, I got like a really well, uh, weird uh, injury with my neck, something that I'm that I never had before, and I don't know how to treatment. I don't know how to handle. You know, most of the time my injuries on my arm, and I know when it's hurt, I know what I have to do to back to the to the mound, also with my leg, but never with my neck. So yeah, he take a lot of time to to back to you know be on the with the team. Uh, by that time, you know, I see the team. You know, many games uh, lost in and all the kind of stuff that happened with the with the team and. But uh, for me, yes, when I'm back, I just was too excited in the beginning. Uh, my relationship with the, with the culture wasn't the, the best. It's because uh, I think putting everything together, for me, take a time with the, with the culture. And um, later on, you know, Riz and I, we got like a really good connection. And, you know, call game was easier and everything's turned like really, really good between him and me and put really, really good games together. You've had a lot of veteran catchers in your career. And when you were with the Nats in 2019 and 2020, you had veteran catchers in Kurt Suzuki and Jan Gomes. Um, fans might sit at home and say, why does the relationship between the pitcher and the catcher mean so much when you can just shake your head and the catcher will put down a different sign and you can eventually get to whatever pitch it is that you want to throw. So Explain that to people. Why is that relationship so important and why can it be, uh, why can it make so much of an impact on how you end up pitching? Yeah, I think uh, we prepared the game before the, you know, the game. We, uh, I spent my, uh, my time off between one out to another to prepare my game. Um, the relationship with the culture is important because I want to uh, transmit every, every information that I have in executing the game when we when we got like a a, a catcher that we never got uh we never caught before and it's hard to see like oh because i like that kind of pitch in one situation i like the other pitch in another situation even if you're right or lefty and it takes time uh with me and a catcher to put everything together uh and you can see on the on the numbers too like my few uh, like my first couple outing is not got the same success as uh, when I got like a really good relation with a uh, with a catcher happened with me in 2019 when I when I was uh, early on the on the season my my ERA was something like around six and I got injury on my leg and everything back like really good especially with Sue uh, even if we caught on the on 2018 with the with Atlanta but always relationship between catcher and pitching is really, really important for, uh, for get success. That's why like a veteran catcher, they got more, uh, help more the pitcher behind the play. One of the best uh, case that I can uh, bring it on is uh, between uh, right now, Wainwright and uh, Jari, yeah. you know? So those guys, they know exactly what they want every time they, they there. So when you got that kind of, you know, the relationship with the catcher and you throws in, and everything they're gonna call, everything is easier. You know, it's not gonna be. It's 
don't have to be perfect. You're not going to, you know, go there and win every single game. But definitely they give you a little bit more confidence when you got that kind of relationship with the catcher. Anibal, how satisfying has it been for you to pitch the way that you have over the last few weeks? You sat out last year. There was some, uh, you know, thinking maybe you might not pitch again. You might just choose to retire and, and go home to your beautiful family. Uh, but you decide to come back. You have the injury, all of this frustrating stuff. But now you are pitching so well. How satisfying has this been? Amazing. I think uh, besides that, my family, they uh, support me uh, every single day because without they support, probably I'm not here. That, uh, you know, take my shot to back to Big League, uh, especially because I want to give memory to my kid. Mm. Especially uh, Aníbal, he's so young, and I just want he got like a little bit of uh, a memory on the field with me, something that I always want to do it with my kids. You know, my first uh, child was a daughter, and it's really hard to put a daughter in the in the clue house because it's a, a, a like a meant place but uh with my son is different and and i got like a really good uh experience with him so far uh in the game so where does this leave you for next year i know you have a couple more starts left before the season is over this year but what are your thoughts about maybe pitching into 2023 you would be 39 years old that season um, but you've shown that you can still be very effective at this level. What do you think? Yeah, uh, definitely. So I want to take the show for the next year. Uh, right now, are you thinking out about outing? It is because to, for my age, it's not something that I want to say, okay, I just want to prepare for you know a few more years or something like that. I think it's a out by outing is let me enjoy more single day with a uniform, with a Nats uh, team. They give me the opportunity to, to back to the big league especially when after we won the the World Series. So I feel at home in this place and, you know, got that kind of opportunity to, uh, like, uh, take my career back is something that, uh, that I uh, respect from the, for the whole uh, national organization. But, yeah, I'm trying to to play for 2023, especially, like, if, if also I want to get the opportunity to play for the World Baseball Classic with Venezuela. That'd be a very exciting thing. I know a lot of people are very excited for the WBC, and that would that would be very cool for you. Um, yeah. Anibal, when you were with the Nats in 2019 and 2020, there were so many veterans everywhere. Uh, I mean, all over the place. Howie and Zim and Dozier and Para and Strauss yeah. and Max. Everyone, you know, had been established. You'd known a lot of these guys from competing against them. And now you come back to the Nationals, and especially since the trading deadline, it's a lot of younger guys and newer guys at the major league level. So how does that affect you in terms of your leadership role, in terms of the way that you approach your job on a daily basis? Yeah. Uh, I remember my, my rookie that, that this team right now remind my rookie season because we were, we were a lot of young guys. So um, you had a couple of veterans, but they're not too, too old by that time. But right now, and I, when you see those veterans, you say one day you're going to be there. It's not easy to make a veteran on this uh, level because you don't know how many years you can play. But, yeah, right now <laughs> I look like a grandpa over here. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of kids. They got a lot of talent. I think uh, if they keep playing together for, you know, for a few more years, they're going to be the, you know, like a really, really good team 
on the future. So uh, I see the talent, uh, those guys, they're working hard. Right now, you know, I always say, like, uh, that the younger player, they're stronger and faster, and, you know, they got more um, – they they can play harder than when, when, I, when I call up. You know, by that time, I think uh, most of the good players, they got – you have to spend – few years in the big league, that's when you turn like really good. Right now, they come like really, really good from the from the minor league to the big league. Anibal, we talked about K-Bert and the relationship that you've developed with him and uh, how you guys are working so much. And obviously, he's injured right now, uh, not getting to play. But how have you seen him grow this season? And how much are you guys still talking, even though he's not able to be out there catching you uh, when you pitch? Yeah, uh, Reese, he's, he's make a lot, a lot of, I mean, uh, change from the beginning of the season to now. I think he's grew up a little bit during the whole season. I know he's, he's still learning. Uh, he still prepare himself to, to be better in this level. Uh, I think he's got the talent to spend like a lot of years on the, on the league. Just depend how, you know, how much you take care of your body for be ready every single day. But this guy is really good. He's uh, right now he's he's mental for the game. He's good. The the way that he called the games, the way that he's received the ball when he catch her, the way that he make a sequence against uh, the hitters. I think uh, the last two weeks before he's got injury, he called many, many really, really good games for the team. And he's. So now he's in the league. He's uh, he's know the you know when he had to do things on the on the plate. So I think he's gonna be really really good in some point on, on his career. Anibal, last question for you. Um, Davy has now been here for a, a handful of seasons, and you've gotten to know your manager very well. Um, I would imagine for a team that has done a lot of losing in a season, you get to September, and maybe guys aren't really trying that hard anymore or they're already making plans for the offseason but it doesn't seem like that's the case with this team at all and it seems to me on the outside like Davey has been a big part uh, of the reason why that hasn't happened what what does Davey do behind the scenes what what type of a manager is he to keep everyone motivated and uh engaged in the game basically he trying to win every single game you know, he don't come a day like, oh, we're going to lose again. I think he's, uh, he's been positive, I think, whole year around. Uh, I think the 2000, back a little bit to 2019, when the team wasn't really, really good in May, when everything turned out like, uh, you know, it's going to be a disaster. I think he know how to turn from bad season to good season. So, and I think he's always like, uh, until the season, like uh, back to this year, I think he's, you know, he got like a lot of uh, emphasis in every single game is to win the game. So that's keep everybody like, okay, I need to get ready for like take it I bad. Because the more important is when you got like a guys on the bench ready to play that make the guys on the field, you know, put more effort because it's not, you know, they got the other guy and the, on the bench, they're going to have the opportunity to take your, either your job or doing like a really good uh, game and everything can change for you because everybody's so young. But for me, like the the mentally mentality for Davies come every single day and win a game. And he don't change that. And I don't think the player is gonna change that no matter what where you are, because no matter what, because you're on the last play, you the 
you are a, a bad hitter or bad uh, uh, offense, defense pitcher. No, you go there and compete and you want to win and you don't. And, and at the end, when you got those kind of team, everybody want to finish the stronger they can because they know that it's no more baseball after the season over, you know, so it's no playoff. It's no, you know, you're not going to gather extra energy in October. So everybody just get ready day by day and do the best to, to win a game. Anibal Sanchez has helped the Nationals get to the highest of highs in this game, and it's been really fun watching him uh, the last few weeks pitching so well. Anibal, thank you for taking time with me, buddy. Great to catch up with you, and uh, hope to see you finish strong. No, man, thank you for having me. <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get you my conversation now with Jim Callis, MLB.com, assessing all the talent across the Major League landscape, all 30 teams. This guy knows more names and has more information tucked away in his brain than I can possibly imagine. How he keeps it all straight is pretty remarkable, actually. But Jim is so well-versed in all of the new talent that's out there, all of the possible draftees for next year's class. This guy knows it all and had a chance to catch up with him recently to pick his brain about the national system, where he feels like they've made strides over the last couple years. Farm system needed to be bolstered up after trading away some prospects in all of those runs toward the postseason. The nationals have felt like their last couple drafts have been really successful. Let's get Jim's take on the recent draft classes, some under the radar signings, and of course, his thoughts on the five prospects that the Nationals got back in the Josh Bell Juan Soto deal. Let's bring you that conversation now with Jim Callis from MLB.com. Jim, it's great to catch up with you again. How you doing? I'm doing good, Dan. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for taking time and joining me. Um, let's get your broad assessment of the Nationals minor league system, and we can start kind of big picture uh, your take on things. Obviously. A lot of success at the major league level over the last decade. The minor league system had kind of gone down the mm -hmm. rankings in that time. Over the last couple of years, though, creeping its way back up your guys' rankings. How do you assess the Nats system uh, as a whole right now? Yeah, it's on the rise. I mean, I, I think what they went through is not uncommon. I mean, if you go way back to 2009, they had one of the greatest three-year runs of just first-round picks of anybody getting Strasburg and Harper and Anthony Rendon and back-to-back -back drafts, back-to-back-to-back -back -back drafts. And, you know, obviously it helps if you're picking one, one, and six. And so they had a really strong farm system, and then those guys and others graduate to the big leagues. They wound up going to playoffs a number of times. They wound up winning World Series. And in the last couple of CBAs, when we've gone to the bonus pool system, once that happened, when you win, you have less money to spend on the draft, less money to spend internationally. You're generally trading prospects to fill holes rather than the other way around. And so their farm system went down. In fact, I want to say going into last season, going into 2021, I think we had them ranked as the 30th best farm system out of 30, which is not very good. Um, and then going into this season, you know, obviously, you know, they made the, the Scherzer and uh, Trey Turner trade and they added some prospects with that and they drafted Brady House. So they moved up to 23rd. And then this year between the draft and the big Juan Soto trade, which was obviously add a lot of prospects, 
but we didn't really count C.J. Abrams or Mackenzie Gore because they had lost kind of rookie status by that point. So if you counted them, which we didn't, they would have raised even further. We had them up to 15th. So they're definitely on the rise. Jim, let, let's start there. Let's start with the, the prospects acquired in the monstrous deal. Obviously, you made waves throughout Major League Baseball, throughout the minor league ranks as well. Um, at the time of the trade, you, you mentioned that from a, a you know a team ranking system, Abrams and Gore were not included in the way that the national system as a whole was evaluated. But when you heard the five prospect names that were coming over to the Nationals, how did you react to that at that time? Yeah, I don't think I can remember a trade that ever had that much young talent in it. I mean, you're talking about you know, C.J. Abrams, who was the number six pick in the draft and one of the top prospects in baseball. And Mackenzie Gore had graduated, but he was the number three pick in the draft and at one point had been the top pitching prospect in baseball and then kind of gone down a little bit, not so much injuries, just inconsistency, and then got back to where he was this year. And you had, you know, Robert Hastel, who was the eighth overall pick. I can't remember, eighth or ninth overall pick in his draft. And, you know, I mean, there's another top 10 pick. And James Wood, who had one of the highest ceilings in his draft, even though he went in the second round, he got paid very handsomely. And then Harleen Susana, you know, who was the top international prospect, pitching prospect in this year's international crop and already has unbelievable stuff for an 18-year-old. He's throwing, you know, hits triple digits with a fastball and he has a wipeout slider at times. I mean, you know, obviously, I mean, you could flip around and say, I don't know if there's ever been a player as good as Juan Soto who's accomplished that much that young, been traded as young as he was. So that, that was kind of my reaction. I was like, wow, Juan Soto did get traded, but they got an awful lot. I mean, if you're going to trade Juan Soto, that's the type of package you'd like to get back in return. Yeah, a double wow. The the fact that yeah. the the guy was dealt and the fact that they got that much in return. Um, so, Jim, let's, let's talk about a couple of these kids in a little bit more depth. The Nationals fans have already seen C.J. Abrams, and he's made a really – Impressive impact, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball and establishing himself now offensively. Mackenzie Gore, we have not yet seen. So the, so Nats fans know he throws from the left side. They know yeah. he's this, this hyped up prospect, but they haven't really gotten to see him yet. You got to watch him, you know, as, as an up-and-comer for a, a handful of years now. What is Mackenzie Gore the prospect? We don't know what he'll be as a major leaguer yet. The, the You know, he'll have to determine that. But in terms of a prospect... What is Mackenzie Gore? Yeah, you know, when he when he's at his best, I mean, he looks like a guy who can pitch, at, you know, at or near the front of the rotation. You know, he can, I mean, I, I think, you know, fastball, curveball, slider changeup, all can be plus pitches on a given day. It's just, I think for him to, to get to that front of the rotation potential, and, and he showed it at times, you know, before he had some physical issues and, and, you know, at the beginning of the year with the, and I don't think it's anything that's really serious long-term with him. You know, he he showed flashes of that. You know, I don't think he had, he had too many games where all four pitches were working, but he was missing bats. He was able to sequence his pitches. He's able to adjust to what he had in a given day. I mean, it's really, really exciting stuff. You know, like I said, I mean, at one point he was the best pitching prospect in baseball, kind of going back to 2019. And I think the pandemic year, you know, seemed to throw him off. He kind of lost his mechanics. You know, pitching at the alternate sites wasn't the same as replicating what you'd go through in the minor leagues. Um, and, you know, there are people who thought he'd be up helping the Padres that year, uh, you know, in regular season of playoffs, and he kind of lost his control. His stuff backed up. He struggled with that again last year. You know, he went to the fall league in, in 2021, and he made three starts, and he was really good his first start, and he was not so good his second start, and I saw him just okay his third start. And then 
it seemed like he everything kind of clicked in spring training and he got back on track. So I, I think he's real interesting. And then with with CJ, you know, he, he was a guy who, who had a, a, a broken leg last year that cost him some time. So he really hadn't played a whole lot coming into this year between the pandemic and then getting hurt last year after a really spectacular pro debut in 2019. And I think, you know, he didn't do a whole lot in the big leagues with San Diego, but I think if you look, he really didn't have that much minor league experience. He'd been pushed really aggressively right. and he's got the tools. I mean, he's going to hit, I mean, you guys have seen, he can really run, you know, I think coming out of high school, there's some questions how much power he was going to have. And I don't think he's going to be a slugger, but I think he's got 15 to 20 home run power and he's got defensive chops too. I think the other question on coming out of high school was, is he really a shortstop or is he going to wind up moving to center field in the long term? And I mean, he's made some spectacular plays at shortstop. And, you know, I think worst case, even if he wound up saying center field, I think he profiled really well there. So I, I think these are two guys who, who move pretty quickly through the pottery system um, are both still pretty young. I mean, Mackenzie Gore is probably what, 22 years old right now, maybe 23. So, yeah. And CJ is like, you know, probably 21 or 22. 21. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, these guys got to the big leagues, even though Gore kind of hit a roadblock that people didn't see, they both got to the big leagues really quick. And I still think these guys are probably a couple of years from really being, you know, fully formed big leaguers at their peak. But these are all-star caliber players. So it'll be fun to watch them. So let's, we can kind of group the other three prospects in ones that have not yet made their major league debuts, Jim. And we're talking Robert Hassel, we're talking James Wood, and we're talking Harleen Susana. Um, you know, you don't have to go too in-depth on all three of those guys, but Hassel has kind of made his way up the prospect ranks. He's uh, been someone that you guys have had your eyes on for a little while. Wood's a little bit, uh, yeah, second round pick, big time tools, but you know, maybe a little bit further down on some prospect lists, and then Susana just 18 years of age. So how do you assess those three guys and, and what their futures could be? Yeah, and you know, Hassel, Hassel didn't hit a whole lot after the trade, but that's not really him. I mean, he'll he will hit. Um, I think he's got the highest floor of those three guys. You, you I like he'll definitely be a big leaguer. I, I think how good a big leaguer depends on how much power he develops. You know, is it gonna be you know 15 home run power or could he get to 20, 25 homers? Can he stick in center? You know, he's more solid runner than a burner, but he's got good instincts. I mean, he's got the arm to profile in right field. He was a pitching prospect too in high school, but I, I feel pretty good that you at least have an everyday big leaguer. Um, you know, I think in terms of ceiling, you know, Woods got the higher ceiling. I mean, Woods at, you know, this big physical, you know, six, seven, 240 pound power speed combination. Like he's, you know, I mean, there are more questions about his bat, although I think he answered some of them this year. I think he, you know, he had a really rough senior season at IMG Academy, which plays a pretty good schedule, and he swung and missed a lot. I'm sure we'll talk about Elijah Green, but it was kind of a lot of parallels to Elijah Green um, when there were, there were concerns about Wood's bat, which is why he lasted until the second round. It was first-round tools, but there were, there were big questions about his bat, and I think he's answered some of them. So I think there's more variance with him, but, like, he's a potential 30-30 guy, and he's just, he's just huge. And the same thing with Susana. Like, he's barely pitched. You know, he's pitched, I think, 45 innings in pro ball, got to low A at the end of the year. He's 18. But, like, you know, fastball into the triple digits. He can show you wipeout slider. Um, you know, it's good. He needs polish. You know, and I think Wood does, too, in a different way. You know, he's it's hitter versus pitcher. Those guys need more polish, whereas Hassel's more, you know, he, he's he's kind of honed some of those tools into skills. You know, he's he's older, but I think he's also more polished coming into pro ball than those two guys were. But, I mean, 
I mean, you know, all five guys aren't probably going to pin out as hope because like it never works out that way. But I mean, you're talking about, you know, CJ Abrams is a potential, you know, leadoff hitter, batting champion, you know, plus defender. Mackenzie Gore is a potential, you know, front of the line, front of the rotation pitcher. You know, Hassel's a guy who can really, really hit. I mean, he might be a future batting champion if he hit his ceiling. Wood could be a 30-30 guy. Susana has got lights out stuff. You know, he needs polish. He could pitch toward the front rotation, or maybe he's a closer. I mean, there's a ton of upside with all five of those guys. Jim Callis does a phenomenal job covering the minor leagues for MLB.com. Joins me now on Nats Insider. So, Jim, you you kind of uh, played my role here, and you, you did the tease <laughs> for us of uh, mentioning Elijah Green, who was teammates with James Wood at IMG Academy. Um, Nationals first-round pick this year. How did you view that selection for the Nationals, where they got him, and where do you see this guy potentially panning out? Yeah, I mean, that's about where he fit in the draft. I mean, I, I thought the top two players in the draft were, were two other high schoolers, you know, Drew Jones, who went number two to the Diamondbacks, and Jackson Holiday, who went number one to the Orioles. And they're both sons of former big leaguers. That said, even though I would take those guys ahead of Elijah Green, and they did go ahead of Elijah Green, I do think Elijah Green had the highest ceiling in this draft. You know, you're talking about the power and speed combination. He can throw, he can play center. He can really do it all. And what was really promising with him was he came into the year. I mean, he, look, we knew this guy was a big-time prospect coming into the year. But he'd struggled with some swing and miss issues on the showcase circuit. And so you kind of heard the same thing, like cloud physical tools, some, some questions about the bat. And one of the nice things about playing at IMG Academy is they actually play a pretty tough schedule. Like they faced – Brandon Barrera, who's a Florida high school pitcher, who the Blue Jays took in the first round. And then they, you know, it's an academy-based thing. You know, you, they, they recruit from all over. A lot of good players go there. And they play a tough schedule. So it's not just, hey, you, you know, if you're playing, you might face, you know, a typical high school schedule. Maybe you face one or two guys who are college recruits and a bunch of guys throwing 75 and you beat up on them. That's not the case with Elijah Green. And he made adjustments and he hit better this spring. And he was more consistent. I mean, are, are there still some swing and miss issues, you know, relative to say Holiday and Drew Jones? Yes. But do you, but do teams feel better about Elijah Green as a hitter than they did coming into the year? That's also yes. So I like it'll be interesting. Like I said, you know, Holiday and Jones have high ceilings too, and I think they have higher floors. But I think you make case Elijah Green had the highest ceiling of any player in the draft. I mean, his his tools are just just crazy. It's a crazy combination of tools. I mean, it's funny because. I mean, he has bloodlines too. You know, his dad played in the NFL. You know, it's a different sport. But like at the time when Eric Green was in the NFL, he was just like more physical and more athletic than the typical tight end. Like it was, there weren't tight ends who who did what he did. And I think that there's a parallel with that with Elijah. He's just you know, for a guy, outfielder coming out of high school, Dan. They just don't look like. I mean. A guy, I, I'm getting old now. I've covered this stuff for 30 years. Guys are bigger and stronger and more refined than they were when I started. It just seems that way. But Elijah is like a whole nother level. I mean, he, he's just – he's so physical and, and so athletic. It's crazy. Yeah, we we had him out to Nationals Park when he signed his contract and did the whole BP on the field thing with, with the major league team. And I was standing next to him thinking to myself, at 18 years old, I was a fraction of the human being that this guy is. It, I mean, really he didn't look out of place. I mean, if you if, if you didn't know, if somebody didn't know and they just saw him standing next to the big leaguers, he'd be one of the more physically imposing guys on their big league roster right I, now. And, right. You know, and then you watch him take BP and he probably hits the ball as far as anybody on the big league roster right now in batting practice. So it's he's going to be really fun to watch. Jim, let's talk about a couple other draft picks that the Nationals took behind Elijah Green in this year's class. They got Jake Bennett, 
Uh, they get Trey Lipscomb, third rounder out of Tennessee. They get Jared McKenzie as well. What are your early impressions of those three guys or maybe others out of their draft class that, that stood out to you? Yeah, you know, Bennett's more of that like floor than ceiling guy. He's, he's a polished college pitcher. You know, I think the change is probably his best pitch. He locates his fastball and slider well. He's got advanced control. He's the type of guy who's going to move pretty quick. I think he's more kind of fits in that third number three or four slot in rotation than one or two. Um, but he just like well, you, you'll probably I don't know if you've seen him yet. You'll probably get to see him next spring if you haven't. He, he's just a really polished pitcher, and I, and I think that he stands out. Like I'm sure we'll probably talk about Kate Cavalli and Cole Henry and maybe some other arms too. And we mentioned Susanna. He, he's he's you know, he's not that he's not going to throw 97 and wipe you out with a breaking ball, but he can really really pitch, and I think he'll move pretty quickly in the system. You know, Lipscomb's an interesting guy. You know, they, the two guys, he basically didn't play for three years at Tennessee because right. they, had, they had two other third basemen who both got drafted in, the, you know, around the same range. Like, I, I think Trey actually got drafted ahead of them, but they were both like, I think, if I remember correctly, fourth to sixth rounders. Finally got a chance to play this year, had a really nice year in a deep Tennessee lineup, was one of their better hitters. He's got a chance to hit for some power and average. He plays a decent third base. Um, came out, had a pretty strong debut. You know, McKenzie was interesting because, you know, his first two years, one of which was pandemic year, hit like 380-something at Baylor and, like, looked like he was one of the most polished hitters in this draft class. And they went to the Cape League last summer, and he really struggled with wood. And people were like, oh, man, like guys who would not – like, so like you get more of a national view in, in the Cape League because everybody's going there. So, like, guys who hadn't seen him before, like, this guy's supposed to be this polished hitter. Like, what's going on? And then he kind of scuffled this year. At Baylor too, so they got like they got him in the fifth round. And, like if, going into last summer, I would have thought he would have been like a second round pick. So I think they got good value there. And I mean, it's small sample size, but he hit like four hundred something in low A. You know, got back to that line drive hitting ability. He's a solid runner, chance to stick in center field. So that was encouraging. The the other guy I was going to mention, who they paid a million dollars to in the fourth round, was kind of a late helium guy. It was Brenner Cox from Texas, high school outfielder. He's really interesting. He's a Texas high school quarterback. He's got a good left-handed swing. He's got project, you know, he, he's like a lot of high school kids. He's not, he's not that James Wood, Elijah Green, you know, big physical presence yet. Like he's, I want to say he's six four, if I remember correctly, but he's more projectable than imposing right now. But you can see some power potential. He can run, he can throw. I think he's going to be a really interesting guy to monitor out of this draft class, too. Okay, so those are the recent draftees, and Jim, you did it again. You you stole my my uh, my tease to who we were going to talk about next. Let's discuss a couple guys that have been in the Nats system for a couple of years now. That's Kate Cavalli, who we got one glimpse of at the major league level, and then a little bit of shoulder inflammation has had him on the IL since. And Cole Henry, who's now dealing with an injury issue as well himself, that has ended his 2022 season. Uh, let, let's talk about Cade, though, maybe more specifically because. He's a guy that has risen uh, a long way over the last couple of years, a two-way player in college. So didn't have a lot of pitching under experience under his belt before he was drafted. What can Cade Cavalli be as a big leaguer? Do you think? He's one of those guys who has the upside to to pitch at the front of rotation. I mean, the fastball is well above average. The curve and slider can be plus. He can flash pretty good changeup as well. I think with him, it's just consistency. Like the, the promising thing about his year, he's got off to a real slow start this year in AAA. And like you mentioned, he hasn't pitched a ton. He also had some, I think, back issues. I don't think he pitched a lot in high school either. Um, he, he lost a year of the pandemic. You know, it just like, yeah, I mean, I don't even total up his innings, but like I'll bet he's probably pitched 
like less than 300 innings between college and pro ball to this point. Um, and it's just a matter of cons- you know, consistency with his health. Like he's never had like a major arm problem. He's had things here and there that, you know, he's had back, like said, back issues. I think he had a minor elbow or forearm thing is uh, maybe as a sophomore in Oklahoma, um, but just consistency. And I, and I do think the thing that was promising after he got to a slow start this year and he wasn't commanding his stuff well, which as you get to the higher levels, as, as we all know, you can have great stuff, especially in the big leagues. If you don't command it, you're going to get hit. And he wasn't commanding it in AAA and he was getting hit. And he did better over the second half of the season. So he's able to make an adjustment and do better. Um, he just had the one outing in the big leagues. I think it's just about consistency with him, um, you know, staying healthy, locating the pitches where he wants to be. And then with you know, Cole Henry, Cole's, Cole's got good stuff. I mean, Cade's got great stuff when he's on. So Cole, Cole's got above average stuff, not necessarily at Cavalli's level. And with him, I think it's just health. I mean, he had health issues at LSU. He he looked good in the fall league. I saw him in the fall league last year. And I think he only pitched, what was it, about 30 innings this year? Like, they just couldn't keep him healthy. And he's got more polish than Cavalli. And, you know, like I mentioned, Jake Bennett being very polished. Henry kind of balances the two. If, if, if Jake Bennett's one of the more polished pitchers in the system and Kate Cavalli has the best stuff, Henry has some of the best stuff and some of the best polish. So he's kind of a, a blend of the two. And I think it's just health, you know, and, and, you know, unfortunately, I mean, that's one of the reasons I think he was a second round pick and not a first round pick coming out of LSU is there some, some health questions even then is it's just a matter of, can he hold up over full pro season? He's yet to prove he can do that, but if he can, you know, I mean, like, you know, your, your, you know, the, the rotation in your future might, you know, the front of it might be, you know, Cavalli, well, they got a bunch of guys to pitch in the front rotation. You have Cavalli, you have Gray, you have you know Gore, you have you know Henry. That would be a pretty nice foursome to build around. Jim Callis from MLB.com joining me on Nats Insider to talk Nats prospects across all levels. And Jim, I, I got two more quick questions for you, and then I'll, I'll let you get back to studying all <laughs> all these guys all over the league. Um, Internationally, the Nationals have had some big time signings in the past. Obviously, the Juan Soto one, tough to top that. But they've they've got a couple guys recently. Christian Vaquero was a big name international pr- uh, prospect who they signed, and Jeremy De La Rosa a couple years back they signed him, and he's he put together a nice year this year at Fredericksburg. Made his uh, way up to Wilmington. How do you assess the international talent in the Nats system? You can talk about those two guys, or if if there are others that stand out to you, feel free to, to mention those as well. Yeah, I mean, those are the two that jump out. I mean, Susana obviously came over from the Padres, but, you know, Vaquero, you know, depending on who you talk to, some people thought he was the best player in this year's international class. You know, he signed for a little under $5 million. I mean, we try to not go crazy on tools grades on, you know, 16 and 17-year-olds, 17-year-olds, but we have 60 power, on the 2080 scouting scale. So that's like a, like a 30 home run hitter. We have 65 speed. I mean, he's, he's kind of the international equivalent of Elijah green. Like, I mean, it's, you know, and, and he's got some hitting ability too. Like he's a switch hitter. I mean, he's probably the best international guy they signed since Soto. And to be honest, he probably, you know, if you're looking at hype relative to the time, like Vaquero is probably more hyped at the time than Soto was. I mean, it's yeah. funny now how everybody, like all the other teams are like, oh, we were this close to signing Soto. But like, I want to say Juan signed for a couple million dollars. He wasn't like that top, top, you know, $5 million guy. So Vaquero is super exciting. And then Villarosa is kind of like, you know, I mean, he's got a really good power speed combination too. And it's funny because I had a, a scout who used to work for the 
nationals was always telling me about De La Rosa, even like early in his career, like watch this guy. Like he's probably like at that point, he thought he might be the best guy that they had signed since Soto. Mm-hmm. And they like kind of pushed De La Rosa aggressively. And so like he didn't put up numbers his first couple of years. And this year, I mean, still, I want to say he's only 20 this year. And he kind of caught his breath and he had a really nice year. I mean, he had the, the Hammond issues, so he, he missed some time with that. But like, it seems like, like and that happens a lot of times with these guys they are super young. And I think sometimes we, we also underestimate, like just as fans, like, well, you know, why isn't this guy doing more earlier? Like these guys are adapted to a new culture. Like, like it's the United right. States, they're away from home. They've got like, some of these guys have a lot more money than they've ever had. Like they're also super young. So they're still developing physically. There's a lot going on that they're dealing with, you know, baseball wise and non-baseball wise. And so I, like, I really think like once he, now they get, once he gets the hammock repaired, and what's nice is he'll have the off season to recover. Cause a lot of times you can come back from the hammock, but like, you just don't have the strength in your hand and wrist right away. And it affects you, but I would assume he'd, he'll be a hundred percent, like full strength going to spring training, going next year. I, I bet you De La Rosa, I would not be surprised at all if he has one of the best years in the system next year. I, I think this is a big year for him kind of catching his breath and getting going. Like I said, he's only gonna be 21 next year. Jim, last question for you. I always like when I talk to prospect evaluators, whether it's in the Nationals organization or outside, I don't want to give them all of the names to talk about. I want to give them a chance to, to mention some guys that that stand out to them that might be more under the radar names that, that fans haven't heard of or that we haven't heard of up here in D.C. Who that we haven't talked about that maybe is a little bit more under the radar is someone that's intriguing to you. Yeah, and I think the guy who comes to mind the most is T.J. White, who I want to say was – was he a fifth round pick in 21? He was, yeah. Yeah. And he was, you know, it's interesting because, you know, one, it's not easy to sign high school guys in the fifth round. Like you just from a money standpoint and you have the bonus pools. Like usually most of your high school rounders, you're signing out of the top three rounds. Or you know, we mentioned Brenner Cox, who got a million dollars. They moved some money around. So that was that was interesting. Um, but yeah, TJ White, um, it was interesting because like I kind of got mixed up. Like everybody agreed, one of the better power hitters in the southeast. I mean, from South Carolina. I talked to a couple teams who were really on him. A couple teams like, ah, I'm not sure about the bat. I'm not sure about the position. Like sometimes you see guys like that. It's easier for guys. You know what? Let's let him go to college and see what he looks like three years against better competition, we'll have a better feel. Like it was, you could see some talent there, but you had to do a lot of projection because he was a high school kid and, and the bat wasn't, you know, say fully developed. And he got off to a real slow start. And then I'd say like the first, you know, four, six weeks of the season, got off to a slow start. And then he really, really hit. And I think I want to say he's one of the younger players in the Carolina League. He's 18 yeah. this year. So like he's an interesting power guy to watch. And then you know, we didn't talk about him and he had a rough year. The guy who I'm not sure what to make of is Brady House, you know, who was very high pick in, in, in last year's draft. You know, he he went, I want to say 11th, like I think I'm remembering that 11th overall pick in 2021. Yeah. You had a chance to go in the top five picks, last a little bit longer. One of the better power hitters, maybe the best power hitter in the 2021 draft. And he made contact and he hit the ball, but he didn't drive the ball this year. So like I've gotten some mixed reads on scouts, like not really sure what's going on with him again. You know, sometimes guys need a year to adjust to pro ball, but he's probably the guy I'm, I'm as curious as anybody to see what he does next year, just because, you know, he hit, it, it wasn't like he swung and missed. It wasn't making contact. He just didn't drive the ball this year. And, and that was kind of surprising to me. Jim Callis has been doing this for a long time, and the wealth of knowledge that he is uh, always amazes me anytime that he <laughs> rattles through all of the prospects and all of the information uh, in the national system or, or another team. Jim, thank you so much for going through all this with me, man. Uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun, and I'm sure Nats fans truly appreciate the perspective. So thanks for, for taking the time with us. 
Oh, yeah. No, great, great. Thanks for having me, Dan. Thanks for the kind of words. Always fun talking about these guys. I'm looking forward. I get to see uh, Robert Hassel in the Arizona Fall League coming up, so that'll be fun. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk again about prospects soon, but the system definitely on the rise. Thanks so much. Jim Callis from MLB.com. Thank you, buddy. Thanks. That'll do it for the Nats Insider Podcast this week. My thanks to Jim Callis and to Anibal Sanchez. Thanks to all of you for listening as well. Getting close to the end of the 2022 season, but we're not done just yet. Some more content for you before we wrap things up. Thanks for listening this week. We'll talk to you down the road. Go big or go home. 